Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Dewing Grain are independent and local grade traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, they can offer you the best strategies to achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Each week on our podcast, we begin with the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and analysis, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues with a guest or two while sampling a beer. Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows are my thoughts or gut instincts on what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market report for week commencing the 9th of May 2022. It is official. The grain trade or the prices in the grain trade have gone mad. Last night, the May wheat futures traded at £340 a tonne. Only one lot traded and the previous trade before that was about 332 end of the month for May, so someone's caught and short, and they're having to pay to get out of it. I'm not too sure how many lots are left open. I don't believe that someone really believes that wheat is worth that much X store in eastern counties or Kent or somewhere, but it happened, and it's happening this morning. So once that little bubble bursts, once the futures are cleared up and the guy who needs to buy it in because he can't tender it, once he's gone, is the price going to be that much ex-farm? I don't think so. I think we're going to settle lower. Fee wheat price, old crop, on the basis of that, I don't think we're going to be able to bid a price that relates to that unless this market really is being chased by someone who's going to push it to £400 a tonne, which I don't know whether that's going to happen or not. I don't think it is. So let's make an assumption that the bubble bursts on features, I think 315x, 320x max, depending on which month you sell it for. You won't be able to sell it for May. There are no more fixings left. There's lots of cheap contracts to be moved. So, yeah, I think that we're talking about June. 315, 320x is going to be where it trades after this little bubble moment. And I think it may even drift off a little bit from there for a time, as people definitely want to get cleared out in June, as harvest is going to be looming. So that's old crop wheat for you. I've got barley, technically should have gone up as well, but it hasn't. There aren't many buyers of that. There's one main consumer who's still got a bit to do, possibly in June. Happily trading sort of 302, 303x, but around 300 is about where we think it's worth. That one is largely over by the shouting, and there will be some new crop feed barley arriving from farm in probably eight to nine weeks' time somewhere in the UK. Not in Norfolk, I think we're mid-July at the moment. So feed barley, 300, get on with it. If you're digging around, I don't know quite what you're waiting for, but it isn't going to go up from there, I don't think. And new crop prices obviously discount to that. Old crop will see rape, 820, I think 30 quid less than I quoted last week. No one really listens to this bit of the podcast anyway, so it is what it is. If there's an old seed rape trader who wishes to challenge me on what old seed rape is worth and what farmers can do, in the end we'll end up with the conclusion they need to sell it in the next couple of weeks because the mills close down or the crush closes down, ready for harvest, clean down, and then it's new crop, isn't it? And I guess everyone's going to shove their rape into store and not sell it, so we'll have the usual can't get your hands on it. So old crop rape, 820 Feed money, 300, and I've got wheat, I reckon, 320. I did do a contract with someone yesterday and sent the contract out at 220-odd, and then he phoned me up and said, are you sure about that price? And I went, ooh. So, yeah, Freudian slip, but what's 100 quid between mates, eh? It was only three months ago, that's what it's trading at. 
So let's go on to new crop. Biggest thing in people's minds is drought. We have had 10 mil or 7 mil, or we'll now have rain NV from some podcast. This is a kind of general statement. There was some rain, even in the eastern counties. Some parts of the west of the county didn't get any. Hopefully there's some coming through tonight, which is Friday for Saturday morning. So maybe we will get a touch. It might just be enough to save the day on some fields that are really light. Most people have been trying to preserve their crops with a bit of irrigation. There are still some strong land wheats that are in reasonable nick anyway. So hopefully this rain will be something that carries the crop enough for it to be at a half decent yield. That is not enough to change the mindset about not selling it in your immediate influence. The bigger picture is obviously the war in the Ukraine. The reports coming out there saying there's more acreage planted than anticipated is important. But the logistics, the storage, the inputs, all of the things have got to occur between now and harvest and then post-harvest are very relevant. If you can't take it over a bridge that doesn't exist anymore, you can't get it to the grain store. And if you can't get it in the grain store and it rains, it gets ruined, etc. There is going to be a logistical nightmare for that country. So production is one thing, actual distribution is another. So it's largely off the pitch as far as the world is concerned. And there are issues There was rumours earlier in the week that India, who finally started exporting wheat, they're the second biggest producer of wheat in the world. They have a surplus. They don't tend to export it because the price the government has to pay is higher than the price of the world market. That's what the farmers were on strike about earlier in the year as the Modi government tried to change that scenario. Well, now the world price has overtaken the price paid to farmers, so they've been involved in exports. But because they had sort of 46 degree heat for three or four days on the trot, there was a sudden write down in the production figures for this coming harvest. And all of a sudden there was a rumour of India not exporting. Now, I don't think that's necessarily true, but it was enough to shake the market and give it another oops, and there's 6 million tonnes gone missing from one of the producers for next year's harvest. That's an important figure with all the other things going on. The American market's got rubbish crop report readings for the production of their winter wheat. Their figures went down for another week. There has been rain and they should start to improve next week onwards. Corn crop is not getting planted because it's rained too much. Again, they are behind schedule. There's plenty of time for them to catch up. So that might start improving, but it is an issue. The probability of a later planted crop is a lower yielding crop. And definitely some of the winter wheat area in the south of the states is way past the date of really making a difference. So all of these things are bullish and just keep the market fed. At some point, if it is all weather on top of the war premium, then we will see if the weather improves a sharp drop for a period of time. You know, if it's gained 25 quid on the basis of various weather stories and then everyone starts to feel comfortable, there will be a sell-off. If you're taking a price of, you know, and then let's go on to prices on new crop. At time of recording, the futures were only £15 apart bid to offer. So taking the bid value at 310 and the offer at 325 let's say it's 315 which is where roughly it traded the previous night. And you're talking about probably 305x farm for November. That might be only 300x for November, he said only. But 300x, if we see the weather kind of make people feel a bit more comfortable could very easily become 280 and then of course you can spend the rest of your life obsessing about how much you've missed out on selling your grain i've mentioned this before the farmer's disease is they always look at the top they always look at where they've sold it and then they tell everyone how much they've missed out or how much they've lost and it is just nuts if you were glass half full type of guy you'd look at the bottom and say look how much i've made but obviously you can't do that
I'm going to do a podcast in a week or two's time on the positivity of farmers, by the way. I've had a, a long and hard discussion with my team. It always seems I'm bashing the poor old farmer. So we sat down and we wrote down a load of stuff that was the positive side of why farmers are such good people. We're going to do why we love farmers, really, and all of their virtues. So just be aware that, like with anything in the UK, you can't praise people up too much because they get a bit big-headed with it. So I'm using that psychology aspect all the time. And in reality, there are some things that need to be said. So I'm going to make a big effort to come out with some realities that actually why the farmer is vital to all of us. That's something to look forward to. Anyway, where was I? So feed week, 300 for Nov. Harvest, probably close to 300 delivered. You know, it, this is a very loose market valuation because the market could trade 15 quid higher or lower in a minute. Feed barley is a bigger discount as far as we're concerned. I can pay big prices on wheat because I'm a future store. The feed barley, if we take it into store, we have to take it out again and the haulage comes on top, whereas the futures, I don't get that haulage bill. I mean, I would value harvest barley at derisory 275 delivered for harvest into one of my stores. So I'm really sorry about how low that is sarcasm is the lowest form of wit my mother used to tell me so leading on to oilseed rape that's probably that's come off a bit there was a bit of a drop in the oils markets during the week the germans suggested they were going to reduce ethanol in biodiesel, and then everyone went right that's a good one bearing in mind what you're about to do with your supply of gas and oil so whether anyone believes them or not i don't know but it certainly was enough to shake the market on tuesdays and the market is again a very 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 poor 680 for harvest movement which is you know significantly lower than last week's values over 700 so largely that's it this week's chat is going to be between the team because these are really weird times the highest price ever traded on well on london futures yeah i'm certain it's a record price traded last night and that's worthy of a comment we need to have a recap of of just where this mad world is so thanks for that and uh, please enjoy it'll probably be me ben and webby i think it depends who i can grab and who reluctantly is dragged into the room thank you thank you for listening Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. If your farm is looking to diversify, the first step is having the right website and logo. We are East Coast Design Studio and we're experts at creating websites that don't just look good, but get great results. Don't send your money to London. We're from Norwich, so keep it local. Call 01603 728978 or visit us online at www.eastcoastdesignstudio.co.uk Okay, I dragged Ben and Webby in because uh, they're the only two in the room actually. So, morning. Morning Ben. Morning. Morning Ian. Right, we have several things to talk about. I start my market report was, you know, the madness of the grain trade and the madness of the price. You know, who knows what happens next and yeah, so that's the starting place. So we'll probably go into a bit more depth of some of the stuff I mentioned. So what do you guys want to start with? The economy is always your favourite, Ben. Yeah, at the minute, well, obviously we had the Bank of England put the interest rates up 0.25. We're now at 1%. Sterling is absolutely on its knees against the dollar. We're 123. We haven't been down there for a year and a bit. Interest rates normally push the value of a currency up, don't they? They do. But I think what happened was we had the Bank of England chairman saying look we're gonna to have to have higher interest rates inflation's going up you're gonna suffer yeah brilliant <laughs> well you know when interest rates at one percent oh right, yeah yeah should we go through that old speech again no go on andrew yeah all right 16 percent, 16.8 percent of my mortgage when i was about 30 years old was a bit heavy but was, your house was cheap yeah it was they're in a really difficult place because this has been caused by it's an energy price thing that's caused the inflation hasn't it really so 
pumping up. Yeah, I know, but food's been... That's because of energy, though, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's fuel. It's all end. fuel. So raising interest rates is going to cause more hardship. It's not going to solve our problem. In reality, the raising of fuel prices, the argument is that that actually effectively cures the issue anyway. It doesn't need interest rate rising to stop people spending. Yeah, higher prices will stop people spending. But, you know, you go into a supermarket and there are still 400 different types of bread and some of them are vegan. Do we still need that? Well, eggs, without a doubt. I was listening to Radio 4 this morning and they're coming out with how much farmers are losing per dozen. You know, the prices of 20 years ago and the prices of now, there was a profit of 13p per dozen. Now it's a loss of 20p at least per dozen at this point. And all held down by the big retailers. In the end, the big plan of the big retailers and having control of the food supply is wonderful for the government. But it's not great unless we have an alternative supply of cheaper product. But then that comes back to the consumer, doesn't it? Because the consumer leads the retailer in a lot of places. Well, a consumer buys the cheapest thing he possibly can, doesn't have a conscience until one of them has a conscience about you know, being a vegan, one of them has a conscience about animal safety or whatever, and turns a blind eye to the egg they have in a cafe, which comes from a new country that Liz tries to deal with, where there's 64 chickens in a box the size of an egg carton. In the end, we spend our time whinging about the consumer. The consumer controls the universe. The only way to control the consumer is not produce. So go get a job as a barista for a year and stop producing farmers. How about that one? Yeah, possibly. I think the Bank of England have now said, look, we're probably going to stall on the next rate rise. We're going to let the high prices try and cure things and let's see where it goes. So, But there's still so many other factors out there that are affecting the economy. Absolutely. And none of us have been in this scenario before, even old codgers with saying, oh, interest rates were 16.8%. We've never known this set of issues and we've never actually had a direct, you know, what was the Russian TV threat that was coming out about a 500 metre high tsunami being set off in the Atlantic? Whoever wrote that one? I mean, Actually, that's a good point, Andrew, because are you Generation Z, Webby, or X? <laughs> so Webby's like that younger generation who have never actually experienced... <laughs> Uh, a recession or inflation? Generation X. I was in full employment in 2008. Thank you. <laughs> That's debatable. <laughs> right. Quite where that one came from, I don't know. But, yeah, okay. I mean, that was... I don't personally feel that we go into that. That was just... I mean, that was a subprime market, and that just smashed the granny out of everything, didn't it? I don't think we're in that sort of I don't feel. Know. I mean, what is the net result of people not having any money? They are looking to someone to pay it for them, aren't they? It's like, oh, I'm used to having that, I want it. And everyone's lost the ability to go without, haven't they? Me included, let's not pretend otherwise. The reality of hardship is going without. The generation prior to mine were the ones who went without, and I can't imagine it. I mean, there's different levels of going without. Sky TV package, couldn't live without that, some people. I don't have a Sky TV package. No, true, yeah. There are a lot more frivolities in life. I mean, I remember how I was brought up. My mum still is quite frugal with stuff, you know, general. There was, well, you never, never used to go out and eat a meal. We might go, I don't know, once a quarter or something like that. Now, lifestyles have changed. Yeah. yeah. This is something that really gets to me. You'll like this, Ben. You buy a jar of marmalade. Obviously, both of you boys buy marmalade, don't you? Yes. Not really, but yeah. See, he is younger. Right, so marmalade is a very good example of how standards are slipping. So you buy a jar of marmalade and you finish the jar of marmalade. What do you do with the jar? Recycle it. That means wash it out and put it in the recycling bin. Yeah. That goes into the back of a lorry and probably gets smashed. Yeah. 
Now, proper recycling of that bin would be A, you start making jam and using the jar several times over, yeah. like my mother's generation, <clears throat> or there's an actual collection point for jars of glass with tin on the top that gets genuinely recycled. That's proper recycling, as opposed to pretend recycling, where it goes into the back of a thing. It's the same vehicles as the ones that puts the general rubbish in it. So paper, everything gets put in the back, the great big pinch of things come in and squash it, and every jar gets smashed. That What's the recycling in that? It's a complete fantasy, isn't it? You've put me off marmalade now. Let's put you off jam, put you off, you name it, everything in those jars. Gherkin. I don't buy gherkin. I just, do. Oh, well, gherkins are a new thing. So what, what do you buy in a jar, Webby? I do, actually, I don't mind uh, a, um, the odd gherkin. I quite like artichokes, the, uh, like uh, oiled artichokes. They're lovely. <laughs> or, or classic Generation X <laughs> there. Oh, I like an oiled artichoke <laughs> in a jar. <laughs> Oops, walked into that one. <laughs> what else? Oh, hang on. I, I should, Are they organic, Ian? I should just quickly come not. up with a Heinz baked beans tin or something like that just to save the day and pretend you're one of the people. Let's move on to a completely different subject. Let's get back into the grain trade. And the subject of the moment in a market that has contracts at £160 a tonne X farm and the futures trade at 340 last night. Okay? Yeah. So that is double and a bit. And someone goes to collect the wheat... And the farmer siphons the exact amount of kilos onto the lorry. So he's within contract tolerance. Yeah. Well, how do we feel about that one, boys? Tough debate. I mean, we've had a couple of experiences of this already, haven't we? And yeah, it's the contractual game, isn't it? You know, it's someone saying that I have actual rights in my contract to do this. I can do this. And they're absolutely right. Yeah. And I also think farmers think it's a victimless decision but that's not right no it's absolutely catastrophic to people yeah i, I agree with ben i think they feel it, it away from them they are innocently doing a contractual thing which doesn't hurt in any way the merchant it's someone else suffers yeah i think that would be my impression of it yeah well i'm going to tell you farmers it's absolutely but, yeah. got victims galore all over i it. think the hard part let's say talk about the scenario for example let's take new crop let's say we book some up Today, and we have books on up today at 300 quid. We could very comfortably, not possible, see wheat sub 200 again. Potentially, mm-hmm. maybe a big ask. Yep. But let's say by November it's sub 200. If we sent a lorry in for that last load and said to the driver, look, mate, just only put 20 tons on that last load because we we're in contractual yeah, we tolerance. Can get, we can get away with nine tons or 10 yeah. tons. Um, uh, don't bother to load that. The, we would get. Some, and we turn around the farm and say, well, you know, contractually we're correct. What? Yeah. On earth would the mindless horde do with that one? I don't think that farmer would, would trade with us again. No, they would tell everybody yeah. on every shooting cart in every rugby club, everywhere else, what thieves, bearing in mind the only people who can be thieves are merchants and farmers are never thieves because they're Robin Hood. They are not thieves in doing what they're doing. Yeah, the, the merchant would get slaughtered. And actually, you know, we talk to other merchants in the grain trade and yeah, they're all saying the same thing. Yeah, we're having short loads and very precise short loads. And the reason it's not a victimless thing mm-hmm. is that we have sales we have to fulfill and we do to consumers. And if yep. we start doing that to consumers, they're going to not trade with us. That'll affect relationships. You know, it just goes on. Well, this is, you know, if you live in this industry, like, you know, I have been in it since 1978. I intend to see my days out working, you know, four or five minutes of it. The point is that it's an annual event. 
And if you decide at a point in time to convince yourself that contractually you're allowed to do something, yes, you are, absolutely. Don't whinge at me, I'm allowed to do this. Okay, this is not about contractual attitude. This is about morals and respect for the people that you trade with. So I will categorically say on the podcast, and this is an absolute fact, if someone plays that game to the nth degree to really, really screw the last thruppence out of it, bearing in mind the size of the price difference and bearing in mind the key commercial benefit to the farmer who's doing it for that particular reason, that little bit of, I want, I've got that, I can have all this extra money. It's a significant amount of money, fine. If someone does that to us, I will say to them this, I would never, ever do that to any of my customers at any point, and all of us here are all aware of that. We will never short collect if we get the opportunity. We will never do something so hideous and disrespectful to the people that we trade with and we like. If someone decides to do that, I will never allow any of you and I will never trade with that person again. That is it because they've broken my moral code. On behalf of merchants, on behalf of all the people trading in this industry, all the consumers, I know you're, you're cheering at this point because this conversation keeps coming up. The mental attitude of the victim mentality of the farmer thinking they can do it and no one's hurt this is a point where this is your own conscience and your morals and i'm saying to you think very long and hard about your attitude to that one little moment of making an extra buck some of you no doubt will get offended by that and start and phone in and complain like we did have with the, the the shooting joke but the reality of it is have a really good look at yourself in the eye in the mirror and go okay i'm going to argue this case because contractually i'm correct he can't have a go at me it's not about whether you can contractually correct it's about your morals right there we are. i'm off my soapbox now okay. I've upset one or two people can i go to india now you can if you buy okay <laughs> <laughs> Let's, because I think I'd like to go to farmers. Farmers will trade with you there. Yeah, (laughs) they won't short load me. (laughs) I mean, look, the Indians. Everyone knows the favourite fact in the grain trade: India, largest wheat producer in the world. Everyone knows that, and it always blows people's minds. But you know, the Indians this week, rumour came out that. They were going to not export any more wheat, protect their stocks, because they're seeing huge price inflation. You've got a massive population, people struggling. Anyway, this rumour came out, and obviously that did spike the market, and it was it was big. It was a big spike. And then half an hour later, we get someone from the Indian government saying to Reuters, oh, well, that's not, you know, that no, actually, that that's not been decided yet. We're going to keep feeding the world, is what Modi said. Mm-hmm. But I just think you need to highlight here that... Look at us now. We're now relying on India to feed the African nations. Well, they are the second biggest wheat producer. The issue that had some resonance because they'd just written 6 million tonnes off new crop because of the heat. So this is a big crop. You've written 6 million tonnes off production in a you know swipe of a pen because of the weather. And so you can understand how a rumour like that came onto the pitch. But they have got surplus and they've been trading above world values for a while. And that's why they had all those strikes, wasn't it? So... Yeah. so yeah, I think that they've got some stuff to clear and they're going to be quite happily doing that. But if they've got a much smaller crop this coming year, that option won't be available for the tail end of next year. And we won't have that Ukrainian stuff, I think, available either because they won't have been able to store it or logistically get it into a place which saves it from going off. That's exactly it. You just beat me to it. Is they've, they've got all the old crops still in the shed. They've got harvest progressing, getting closer. And we're going to be probably talking about outside storage, aren't we, in a lot of places in Ukraine? 
you know, there's those sort of like sausage things that you can put it in that I saw in Argentina, which is a, an effective yeah. system, but you have the kit to do it, and you've still got to get the logistics sorted out to move the stuff out. If the Black Sea's cut off from them, yeah. and Moldova's, you know, getting some extra help from Vladimir as well, who, which he's suggesting, so he's going to have to help them, and then he'll help Romania. He might even come and help us soon, but they're not going to physically move the stuff quick enough. There is people talking about the volume of wheat and corn coming out of Ukraine, which is great, but it isn't that they're struggling with it, and their yeah. focus has got to be on the war that's occurring within yeah, their yeah, country, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. So India is relevant. The rumour was relevant. They are going to keep exporting at the moment, this tail end, but will they be there next year with a surplus? Possibly not. And then who are we looking to supply? And, you know, there's issues in South America with the Brazilian corn. And the state's crop reports were awful this week, as I've mentioned in the, in the farm yeah. chat. But they should improve with a bit of range, didn't they? Yeah, look, but look at all the soil moisture maps in that northwest, that kind of spring wheat belt. That's deja vu of last year. Do you remember there was the milling wheat spike, the kind of Canadian all-sea story? Yeah, northwest states. Every Ollie and Aris put together a market report and lists the top 10 wheat-producing countries mm. around the world. You can find fault in every single one of those 10 countries. There was China, Ukraine were towards the bottom, actually. Russia, India, Canada. What's the big, other big one I've missed in there? Wales. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't listening. Did you do Australia? You did. Australia. No, Oz wasn't. But I, yeah, Oz is. I'm not hearing anything bad from Australia at the moment. Okay. Well, the point being, there's issues everywhere, which is why the market's fueling itself. But I think this currently is now weather, not war. And yeah. weather markets have a history of suddenly feeling better in June when some miraculous event occurs. So if the weather suddenly comes good, we're going to be in a place where there will be a 25 pound drop in five seconds flat. Yeah. And then if the war stops, there's another 50. Well, and there's another thing, really important point to consider. You know, barley's now full in here. We will be seeing barley cut in East Anglia in the second week of July. Barley will be coming in. There's very little barley fixed contract-wise. Everyone's gone into seizure now. I'm not selling, I'm not selling, I'm not selling. In 10 weeks' time, in between now and 10 weeks, a massive amount of barley's got to be traded. No sellers at the moment, lots of sellers at the end of 10 weeks or somewhere at that point. And that is, you know, if we get a bit of weather that makes the UK suddenly have, oops, there is going to be quite a big crop of this, it's grain filling quite nicely. I do understand that sentiment, though, because, I mean, I think if I was a grower, you look at what there is here, what would you think about your spec, or likely spec? No, no, I totally agree. At this moment, you wouldn't see Yeah, you wouldn't see but, yeah. but the reality is, even if it's knitting needle... But I think people will wait, and yes, maybe people are going to be selling at a lower price, but I think they'll wait and see what their spec is, and then... I, It'll I, be a harvest flogging. I, I totally right. agree. But the, the point is, it will have to be transacted in that period because lots of people need that storage space for the next crops that come in. Yeah. So you yeah. will be trading it, boys, shortly. And it's about what, you know who's geared up to take it. That's what we're focusing all our energy on, is to get these sheds empty, get everything empty, 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 yeah. empty, and then we're ready to go with whatever the surprise is because lots of people, we don't know if it's coming our way for sure yeah. because we're arrogant enough to sit there and believe that people keep coming back. But... Yeah, at some point they will be trading it. That's exciting. Yep. Now, the other thing we need to just touch on is May the 9th, the infamous Victory Day in Russia. Well, as it's, vic- it's a victory, should we crack the beer at this second? Oh, I'm yeah. Like a bit hot. I'm sitting in the sun here. Okay. So- hey, hey, whoa! Hang on, Ian's whoa, fighting whoa. me now. Whoa. I am going to have cockle roast spit. Now, these beers have all come from... Leon C. Leon C. Via Neil Pearson of NW Trading, who came to see us a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And it was good to see him. Big fan of the podcast. Yeah. Essex man. Loves our little jokes about Essex people. Scotty. Why have you given me this glass, Ian? 
as nice glasses as poshest glass. Right, here we go. Andrew's just pulled his... Yeah, what have you got? Build. I've got a microphone in one hand. I've got a uh, beer yeah. in the other. So Do you want to flake with that? Right, go on, Webby. What have you got? I think you and Andrew... Have, oh, no, they're not the same. I've got a uh, lovely lager. So, yeah, for a lovely L-E-I-G-H. Yeah. yeah, a little play on words. Everybody. You've got to get, yeah, that's you know, right. Get with the marketing. I've got a Beach Hut Brew, New England Pale, brewed by Leon C. Brewery. Oh, yeah, no, mine's good. Leon C. Brewery, the Cockle Road Spit. That is well done, Neil. I rate that one. Go on, Webby. What about you? Oh, hang on. That's a good job you didn't have a bit of a slip of the tongue with that. Um, could very easily go wrong, that name, couldn't it, Ben? What? What is it? Cockle Rose Spit. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I see. How could it go wrong? That's a new generational thing. <laughs> yeah. So, Would you like some oiled artichokes with that beer, Ian? <laughs> Should it be Cockle Rose Swallow? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. How is your beer, Andrew? I'm still laughing at my own joke. It's very lovely. Yeah, no, really good, actually. Very tasty. It's been in the fridge, which I think helps. A New England pale. It is a very pale beer, and it's uh, the right thing for a, a warm, sunny day. So, yeah. good, good thank, one thank to toast, toast the victory <coughs> for good old Vlad. So, so <laughs> go on, what happens on May the 9th? What happens well, May the 9th, there'll obviously be a huge parade in Red Square, and there are rumours that he wants to have a parade in Mariupol. Good luck with that. I doubt he'd have a very good reception to the buildings in the background, would he? Well, yeah, I'd be have to How be a lot, that of, lot of CGI there. But, you know, what, May the 9th, you know, is it more spin? Does he declare all-out war on Ukraine? You know, it's very, it could be anything, couldn't it? I don't know. He, I thought he was all-out war with the Ukraine, but, I mean, the biggest issue is the other threats that he has for the rest of the world, isn't it? All joking aside, the thing about the 500-metre-high tsunami that he could set off a, a, you know, a thermonuclear device under the Atlantic is not that well thought through in the context. It would certainly make nuclear waste of the Arctic, Iceland, Greenland, lots of America, or the yeah. near continent. You know, and in the end, it would slush down into the Baltic. He's, you know, he's, I don't know, it's a bit of a weird one. It's probably just a fantasy Russian thingy, but... It does feel like he's well and truly on the back foot at the moment. It doesn't feel like he's getting a lot of traction. Well, maybe it's probably just, dangerous. It's just the PR we're getting. You know, you, you become cynical to anything on the news, don't you? And if you listen to different spins on Boris, on Ukraine, what is true, what isn't true. At the moment, he hasn't taken the country, <clears throat> which is the biggest shock. That was a shock three days in. Now, ever since then, it's been second-guessing with a load of experts you know, theorising and then asking someone who's just had their husband blown away how they feel. It really does my head in reporters nowadays, by the way. Anyway, yeah, so Victory Day, it could be big, could do something daft. That's the point. I don't think he'll do something daft. I think he'll just stand on the podium and just say how well it's all going and, and how they're denazifying Ukraine. But that'll be that, won't it? Yeah, well, hopefully. Hopefully that's it. It's just words, not actual, you know, something new and special. Here, look, let's launch this one from the square in front of you all. <laughs> it's got London on it. <laughs> let hope it doesn't work or something. Let's move on from that, because he really does get my goat at the moment, the old boy, so enough press from us. Let's talk about, you mentioned the expectation of fertiliser prices, Ian. OK, maybe there's an element of Chinese whispers in this, and I think CF are coming out with fertiliser prices either next week or week after. And there's a few whispers around saying that it might be around the 700 mark, 650, 700. 
Okay, so 650700 for fertiliser for this autumn, the following yes. crop, yes. 23 crop. Yeah. Okay, last night the 23 crop traded at 270 Yeah, I think it's 72, roughly. Like and the market today yeah. is around 270 So that would make roughly the value of X Farm feed wheat for November 260 at £260 a tonne, I sound like an auctioneer now, £200 a to you, to you, sir, and fertiliser at, let's say, 700 For me, that seems a bit of an obvious sell. Well, we won't do the maths for those amongst us that can't, but yes, that should be a profit. If you spend your life focusing, there might be a whole lot of focus on how much fertilisers have come down from a 1,000 to that, actually. There might be a whole lot of, look how much our prices have come down. It's amazing, 30% drop, everybody. We, we're going to be laughing. Oh, you don't think it's going to happen? I think 650 should bring the cost production. Okay, I mean, this is obviously determined by yield, but... On a normal average Norfolk yield, well sub 200, you're probably in the 180s, I okay, guess. Okay, but it depends if they've got a Range Rover or not, doesn't it? So then there's a school fee. So, so say 200. Okay, yeah. So 200. 200. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 200. Uh, yeah, so two, 200. I mean, that puts him so, so a margin 60 of £60 a tonne times 3.5 tonnes an acre. Doesn't look that special against this year, but against any normal year, that's bloody good. I think so. Yeah, I think it's very good. And also, in theory, you, Mr Farmer, should have a war chest from this coming harvest. So should we be pushing farmers to sell the backside off it? If they can buy fertiliser at 700, I think we should. They should I think if they could buy the, lock in the fertiliser, admittedly, you know, the company that makes it might suddenly shut the plant like they did last year. But, you know, if they can get it in the bag... The other dilemma is if the wheat price is continuing to go up because there's continuous bad weather, we've got to conflict our own, like, yeah, lock into that much money for some of it, then you can still make more because we haven't been booking tonnage up for at least two and a half months, have we? We've told people to wait, 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 which has made them money. Yeah, but I think if the cereal price keeps going up, I'm pretty sure the nitrogen values would probably follow with it. Yeah, I'm surprised that 650, 700... I'm really sure I was... to me, that it's me a thousand pound plus. That's and I a thought, buy, yeah. And it's a at the same time. Just cover your whole one, lot. Just one go. ton an acre at okay. that much money is, yeah, I agree. I think that you, you're all aware of that. But if the reality comes, don't wait for someone to phone you up. Phone them up yourself. Mm-hmm. Book it. What will it do to grain prices if that price comes out? I'd like to think we'd get a wave of UK farm sellers. Well, at some point, the farmers have got to sell. We've had a long period of it not being sold, and they've got to realise. It's one thing saying, oh, look how much it's going to be, and this is how much I've sold it for. It's just getting over that hurdle of it might go up some more and I might miss out. I must admit, and there's a number of people who rely on us to do you know, the marketing. They say, right, you know, tell me when to do it, and we, we try our hardest to get the right moment. I am getting itchy feet on this current crop, the one that's coming, sorry, yeah. 2022. I'm convinced 2021 crop is now too high. I don't think it's going to keep... On the old. No. The 340 yeah. in the futures is too high. It will, the bubble will burst. I am certain of it. There might be a really high price in July. I don't think so. Harvest will be here. I'm, I'm yeah. convinced yeah. there is enough wheat out there. So if you are waiting for whatever you're waiting for, I think we're already there. Have a good look. I think we've arrived, everybody. But on new crop, I also think there's a point very shortly where this thing needs to take a breather, take a drop mm. off. You know, mm. I mean, unless the weather just stays drought, drought, mm. heat, heat. And then in which case, I'm wrong. So totally on the weather. But if there's a, if there's a change, yeah, I think we're going to see a, a big swathe of selling come in from UK farmers. Mm. And then 2023 will have a natural reaction with that. Yeah. 
Okay, right. That's a good way to end, isn't it? But the potential so. of there being profitability for this year, next year, and the following year has got to be good news for anyone involved in the great industry. Agreed. A positive end to a podcast. Excellent. Right. I'm just going to get Webby to put some shoes on because his feet stink. <laughs> Could have done that to start the podcast, couldn't we? Anyway, thanks for having, not having your shoes on, Ian, and thanks, Ben and Ian, for your uh, valuable input. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they are released and follow us on Twitter. We are at Dewing Grain. Call Dewing Grain on 01263 731 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by East Coast Design Studio in Norwich.